This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. I've got a killer conversation to share with you featuring Scott Lewis from the group Carnifex. Now, the catalyst for the chat with Scotty is due to the launch of a new album from Carnifex. It is titled Necromantium, and according to the presser, It'll see light of day via Nuclear Blast Records on October 6th. So yes, in this conversation, we talk about the album and the background under which it was created. But this conversation is far more notable as Scotty and I cover topics to do with the youth and their preference for woke and socialist ideology. So before we dive into the chat, for you people listening via the podcast apps, I have selected a tune for you. This is the title track from the new album, Necromantium. Once it's done, we'll dive into the conversation. For you good people on YouTube, you know the drill. I can't play music on the platform, so you'll hear the conversation straight away. Either way, let's go. Oh, my God. 
Sorry, brother. Zoom decided it wanted to do some heck of an update right on the time that I decided to bloody log in for our chat. So apologies for that. No words. I was just scrolling Instagram. <laughs> What's there to see at the moment? Oh, yeah. I'm always looking at cat memes and, and dog memes. <laughs> you know, it's always just like, it's like that sad cat, you know, where they play the song and the cat looks all sad or cat mm. working out. Just, you know, yeah, mind stuff. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do when uh, effectively you're a professional tourist these days? Well, oh, thankfully you survived COVID. I want to talk to you a bit about that in a sec, actually, because we had a really good talk about the band surviving through that bloody awful period there. But how do you entertain yourself when you're touring so much? Uh, how do I stay busy when I'm on tour? Um you know, actually, it, I feel like there's a fair amount to do when you're on tour. Um, I mean, yeah, we're only playing for an hour, but, you know, uh, usually we're headlining or co-headlining. So mm. there's always a sound check in there somewhere. Um, you, these days, there's usually a meet and greet in there somewhere. Um, we don't really carry a lot of crew with us. Like, you know, we have a, a light designer and a front of house engineer and a tour manager, but the gear is still got to get in and out of the trailer. So, you know, we're, we're unloading or we're packing. And then, cause you're out on the road, you know, you got to find all your meals in, in the city you're in, you know? So we're hunting for lunch, hunting for dinner. Um, and then you got to sleep in there somewhere. <laughs> got to relax in there somewhere. So it's kind of structured, honestly, it kind of keeps us busy. Mm. When we, we, we've had a number of conversations over the years, and when we last chatted, it was at the height of COVID, and you were very frank with me, which which I appreciated, in that you more or less said that the future of the band was not so assured. It's great to see that, I guess it is now in some respects, but um, do, do you still feel as though things are a bit on tenterhooks, or do you feel as though the band is a valid ongoing concern for you? I, you know, at the time, uh, it was definitely the outlook was much more bleak because I don't think there was any way of really knowing what would come next just because, you know, before the pandemic, you, you would have never imagined, right? Mm. Yeah, of course. And so I, I think when we went through it, the lesson that I, the takeaway I kind of had was like, I mean, you just never know what's going to happen. And, um, you know, we had just started to crawl out of it, but when we spoke, I don't even know if we had gone back on tour yet. No, you hadn't. It was 21st of August or thereabouts, 2021. So within a right, day or two yeah. prior to that, but it was a bloody awful time. It wasn't just you guys. I'd had a number of people have off the record conversations with me, but you were prepared to go on the record there. And I think it laid bare the challenges that touring musicians and very valid and 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 bands that have a let's face it a significant fan base for what for what we do for the challenges right. that lay ahead yeah it 
it was weird because you know you never would have thought something like that would happen. Uh, you know, a global phenomena that doesn't allow you to perform any shows. Like, uh, you know, I don't think that had ever happened other than, I, you know, I couldn't even tell you, to be honest. I don't think it had ever happened. Um, and then to go through that and, you know, we make 80% of our money uh, from touring. You know, mm -hmm. obviously we have the web stores and you make a few bucks off of the streaming royalties and, and the physical royalties. But, you know, really it's playing, selling tickets, selling t-shirts on the road. That's where our income comes from. So I didn't know what the audience reaction was going to be like. Were people going to be hesitant? Were people going to be over it? Um, I just had no idea. Thankfully, it actually worked out very well. And the fan base was extremely excited to go to shows again. Mm. And actually, this last uh, two years, almost two years, was some of the best touring we ever did. Um, not just um, from an enjoyment or attendance standpoint, but for the, for the business as well. Mm. So... It, you know, it, uh, it, it just, it was the yo-yo effect, right? It went from, it couldn't have been worse to couldn't have been better. I guess that's the the dichotomy of life, you know? Mm. Did you write Necromantium through, through that period? No, no. Graveside was the, well, yeah, through the period of being on the road or. Oh, sorry, the, the COVID. Period. Yeah, the COVID period, the layover. I just want the layover, but yeah. Yeah, no, that was all, that was all graveside, you know, all that, that was all, that whole album was written during the lockdown. And then we started writing Necromantium, I guess it would have been, uh, I guess it would have been the end of 21, you know, we, not too long after graveside had come out just because we, we try to take our time writing. Um, oh, pardon me, I feel like I'm going to sneeze. Um, we You're try right. to take our, our time writing and we we don't want to rush ourselves at the end so we give ourselves a good head start uh, so we, we had started writing that record after we had already gone necromantium after we'd already gone back on the road ah uh, radio okay i mean the obvious question then is that for you for the lyrical themes were they in any way influenced by what we spoke about just up top there no i really got them all out on graveside you know and Griffside, if you know, if you go through those lyrics, they're actually quite dark. Um, mm. And that that record was a very, you know, inward facing album. It really examined a, a lot of what I think uh, other musicians and just other people who were used to going out, going to shows, and just connecting with their friends and and with with music that they loved. Uh, it was a challenging time, you know, uh, so it was a very inward looking re record, a lot of time for reflection. And then when we got to writing Necromantium, I, I had already done that and I didn't really want to go mine all my personal experiences again for an album. Mm. And so I, I did a record that was more outward facing and had some more universal themes like the supernatural and questions about you know what comes next if anything and exploring the different thoughts on what comes next whether it be reincarnation ghosts spirits or nothing just the void um so yeah I, lyrically this it is a different album with with very different topics
Have you off topic potentially, but it's certainly related. Have you ever done any journeying, ayahuasca, that sort of thing? No, I haven't. If you're into topics that you've just mentioned there, I'd highly recommend it because it lays bare some of these things about timelines and the like, and it helps you make sense of some of these things. Um, it can be very, it can be an extremely confronting process. You go through hell before you get to receive heaven, and all mm. of your phobias and that which plays in your mind late at night, it's laid bare. But I just feel like after I've gone through that process, I have a bit more of an awareness and understanding of the supernatural too because I think if you're into this sort of music at a participation level like what you are, and I guess I am to an extent, we have a natural incl inclination toward these things. For example, I do tarot card readings and the like, and yeah. I just found that my, my awareness and my perception of these things was um, changed somewhat for the positive after that experience. Interesting. I, you know, I have heard that from from other people that they they talk about it's it's really kind of a harrowing journey. Um, yeah, I guess I try to you know explore those explore those thoughts um, first through the lyrics, but then when you go on stage and you perform them, it really is a cathartic experience and a bit of a purge. And I think you can kind of end up traveling while you're in place um at least that's been been my experience with with the songs once you take them on stage and they start connecting with the audience mm. do you find are you an are you an avid reader and, and listener of things to do with the supernatural and that is that is beyond i i have been more so lately um yeah i think i guess i always have been but more so recently yeah I'm just curious as to what you'd recommend for people because a ton of people are going to listen, obviously, and they're going to listen to listen to this chat. Go and check out the album, then be inspired to check out some of the uh, the podcasts and books that you might have consumed lately. I, I'm personally just finding that there is just a real lack of decent podcasts out there on the topic. They're all sensational. They're all stuff with ads inserted here and the like. Um, if anybody mm. out there knows for both of our benefits what what podcasts might be. Um, in addition to what you how you answer this question here, because I'm just finding that it's just trash out there at the minute. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say it was one source. Really, I I just do a lot of, of googling, you know. So you kind of find yourself on all all sorts of different web pages or YouTube videos. Um, there's a book out there called Why Does the World Exist, which I found very fascinating, uh, written by a German author. And it, it explores a lot of those questions, religious-based, non-religious-based, supernatural, uh, reincarnation. Um, it's, it's really a, quite an interesting book. Uh, and then when I was writing this record, I, I researched a lot of that. And, uh, you know, you find yourself finding, you know, it's crazy how you read some poems or pages that were written by someone back a, a thousand years ago or, or 500 years ago and it's really extremely relevant not only is it extremely relevant but i feel like people are asking the same questions today which if you consider how different our world is hundreds and hundreds of years later all this technology all this communication all this connection for us to be asking a lot of the same questions um that that in itself is very unique that in itself almost begs a question 
which is why, why do these questions have this enduring power? And we seem to be able to figure everything else out, so to speak. And that's kind of what the album's about, you know, those eternal questions. Eternal questions. We, here's another one for you. I think sooner or later you'll get to it. Maybe you've already addressed it, but um, extraterrestrials and UFOs, particularly in the last three months or so where you've had Senate whistleblowers talk about um, proof of life, this sort of thing, did any of that even slightly influence what you were talking about this time around? Um, I can't say the UFOs did just because we, we kind of worked on this record before that stuff really started coming out. Um, but also I guess I kind of, I have a bit of a, a semi cynical view when it comes to politics and I kind of feel like that's a great distraction <laughs> to I'm a lot you. of like challenging issues, mm -hmm. which maybe aren't fun or exciting or to talk about. And, you know, talking about aliens and ufo whistleblowers that's very cool like that's a cool conversation to have talking about you know complicated policy that can't be distilled to a politician's you know motto or slogan that's much more difficult and not nearly as fun um so i i kind of feel like it's getting a little more tension than maybe it it, it is owed because it's it's easy, it's consumable, and it, it, it isn't something you really have to grapple with. Because if whether aliens are real or not, or whether there's a UFO buzzing over the, over the world every once in a while, kind of doesn't change what we have to do here on Earth and figure, wake up and figure out every single day, you know? It's a shrewd observation, and uh, I think you're right. Uh, unfortunately, in that uh, it was a whistleblower, it wasn't an official source that came from the US government and acknowledged the presence or the uh, UFO or uh, UAP, I think they are, artefacts. But with regards to the political situation in the United States, and it's not just there, it's across the entire Western Hemisphere at the moment, it mirrors from Europe, Britain, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the United States. We're all sort of under the hammer of the same left-wing ideology at the moment. Did any of that, has it, have you got any thoughts or designs potentially of starting to talk about that in the future with regards to your lyrical themes? I can't say that I've started to incorporate that in, into our music yet. I think, you know, for me, music is, is therapy, you know, it really is. And I think for the listener, it's therapy too. And, and, and then there's also enjoyment in it. And I don't really enjoy politics, <laughs> you know, they're more uh, frustrating than, than they are in, you know, positive, frankly. And so, um, it might suck some of the joy out of the experience to bring that type of frustration into it. And I, you know, I, we're supposed to be an escape, you know what I mean? We're supposed to yeah. be something where you can shut the world out with, with our music. And so, I don't know. I know there's a few bands in the genre that have embraced the political stuff. And honestly, I, I wonder how much the audience really responds to that. Obviously, you, you have a great song regardless of the lyrical content, but how much are they really relating to the politics? I have to wonder. I, I don't really know what the answer to that is. And that's that's not really our mission. Like, my mission mm -hmm. is not to try to sway one person one way or the other. I'm not 
proselytizing for any political party. Um, our goal, I guess, as a band is to is a little more zoomed out from that minutia. And it's more about kind of asking these bigger questions and, and kind of pontificating, I guess, kind of more like a, a thinker and less like uh, kind of what's the word of the day, so to speak, you know? Yeah, it's great to hear you're not ideologically motivated, though, because there are some bands that do that. But just just that point there that you mentioned, I actually find that I'm in a unique position being a podcaster and that I can talk about all these sorts of things, and I often do. You know, got a mortgage, you're a taxpayer, no doubt your kids that go to school, this sort of thing. And a lot of the audience reflects that as well. So that's where we get interested because we want to know where our tax dollars are being spent and what sort of ideology is underpinning the philosophy that um, motivates the where, where that money goes to. And right now we're just under the hammer of this, you know, this big pharma uh, intersectional woke politics, all this bullshit that's going on at the moment. And it would be just lovely to come out the other side of it where I, I just think, I, I don't think we were ever at a point where people who, who were like a hardcore left-wing type, they could ever sort of tolerate anybody else. But it'd be nice to go back to a point or even forward to a point, I probably should say, where politics just becomes part of the conversation and it isn't this signifying characteristic of who you are and what you do. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that is a good point. And I think I think the pendulum swings. You know, I think if you really kind of examine political history and go back 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50, 60, the pendulum swings. You, you see it swing to the right. You see it swing to the left. And I think really what that, to me, represents is people are just generally dissatisfied at all times. And so whatever's happening, they generally are going to become tired of it. And I think the pendulum was swinging one way and people became tired of that. And now it's swinging another way. And it kind of seems like people are already getting tired of that. And it's sort of maybe coming back to something more moderate, or maybe people are starting to speak up and say, let's, let's kind of get a little more in the middle here and not so far to one way or the other. Um, you know, and it's just, uh, as far as musicians go, you know, I, I'm not, I don't see myself as like a political pontificator. So I don't know that I really have any more insight than, you know, and enough insight to be listened to, so <laughs> to speak, you know, like I'll have a conversation with anybody personally, of course, but I don't claim to have any answers or I think both sides can have good ideas and I think both sides can have horrible ideas. Um, and generally that's why I'm a moderate, you know, I've, I've voted for presidents of both political parties over the years here in the States, you know, and I'm, I'm a little bit older, I'm 38 years old. So, um, I've been voting, you know, since I was 18 back in, uh, 2004 was the first, uh, presidential vote that I participated in. And so I, I think the pendulum swings. And I also, I also don't think it's always going to be about identity politics and culture politics, which is really what the conversations are about right now. At some point Absolutely, we yeah. need to talk about policy. You know what I mean? You talk about where our tax dollars go, that, uh, you know, what's happening with our borders, what's happening with national security what's happening on a geopolitical level. We really need to start, you know, what's happening with where we get our energy, with where we get our resource, 
Those conversations are very complex. Those conversations aren't particularly exciting. You can't really put it on a sign and go protest in the street. So it's not something anyone really wants to focus on. And so I think that's kind of why we're trapped in this this culture politics loop right now is it works great for getting people outraged, regardless of which side you're on. Both team says the other side is going to ruin the place. And I think that's, it works great for a headline, but what you're starting to see is a breakdown in politics. And I don't think anybody's really getting what they want. Frankly, it just seems like it's kind of a gridlock mess. Yeah, and we don't see it changing anytime soon, unfortunately. Yeah. I think whilst you've got the dual party system, which is the case right across the Western Hemisphere, and I suppose at least we've got that. We don't just have some sort of banana republic where you have one person who continues to one party. Like across uh, most of Africa, if not all of Africa and vast ways of Asia, where the people actually have some semblance, some semblance of a voice. But, um, yeah, I, I, I hope I'm wrong, mate. I hope that uh, that what we're dealing with at the moment does come to an end sometime in the next four to five years or so because it's just so ideologically driven and it's ridiculous. It's not about policy, to your point there. It certainly is about ideology and ensuring that you fit very rigidly into the boxes and the confines of that ideology and you're just seeing it across music. And the other big thing that comes out of that is censorship, of course, and we're seeing a lot of that lately. And and to Jordan Peterson's point that he's made many times, it's the 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 signs of a society in decline, I'm paraphrasing here, not quoting, but as self-censorship, when people choose not to say what's within them, and that's the very version of hell that I think we can slide into. And it's uh, whether it's social media echo chambers that uh, that are, are encouraging that or not. I just, for me personally, mate, with the show, I just make a point of if I've got a thought or a feeling, and if the person that I'm speaking to is willing to go on that journey, just for a moment, just for five, ten minutes, or whatever it is, then it's up to us to have that chat and not self-censor yeah. because there's a lot of people out there, mate. I hear them, the podcasters and the the hosts. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to alienate <laughs> or anything like that. And it's like, well, there's an element of cowardice in that to me as well. Okay, because you've got to be able to have conversations and air thoughts and feelings in the moment, which may or may not be, you know, specifically correct if you want to run them over a rule in the way that everybody seems to want to do these days. But who gives a shit? We're just people leading lives, raising kids, paying mortgages, playing music is the most important yep. thing for this conversation here. Yeah, to pay the mortgage. <laughs> to, you know, well, and and I just it would be lovely. It'd just be lovely to see people stand on their own feet. And um, you know, I just don't want to mix words here. It's ninety five percent of the bullshit that we're dealing with at the moment comes from the left, and there might be five percent or so that comes from the right. But just with every election cycle, we see everything heat up again, and it feels like we had a bloody U.S. election. Last week, uh, how quick time oh, uh, is going? You it? know, we, we got another one coming up, and mm. yeah, and it's. I, I guess it's going to be the rematch, which I feel like that. You know, there's got to be better options out there, but you know, here we are, and I think there's there's a saying out there that you, you've probably heard many times, which is hard hard times create good men, good men create. Good times, good times create weak men. It's a great sign. You, you, you know what part of that cycle we're in right now. And when I say men, I, I'm not necessarily meaning men. I'm, it should be culture, weak culture. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And and I think that's kind of what it is. I think everyone has had it really, really, really good. And if you, again, like you, you said, you look at some of these countries in Africa, some of the places throughout Asia, China, <laughs> 
they're not having these conversations. You, you don't have a say in anything. You know, you like a lot of times you can't even have private property. You know, um, you can't leave. You know, China's committing a, an entire genocide against a group of people that have a different religion. The we, is, we don't, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we don't have that in, in Western society. So I think we are very, very fortunate for the things that we do have. And because it is so easy, we find very, you know, niche things to run up the flagpole and decide this is what the entire country needs to talk about. Is this one thing that pertains to, you know, less than 1% of the population? And really, it's because we don't have anything else to complain about, you know? So well, we got to find something. And I think that is um, a bit ref of a reflection of people not realizing how good we have it in a Western society. And yeah, we have problems, of course. There is no utopia. Everywhere there's people, there'll be problems. But we have it really, really good here. And it's for a reason. You know, it's, it's for a reason. It's because we have laws that protect people. It's because we have order. It's because we, you know, we know who's coming into our countries, right? And we protect it. Yeah. And that's important. And I don't think it's really easy to dismiss conversations that are challenging with, with a word. It's racist. It's fill in the blank phobic when really it's not, you need to have a conversation uh, uh, with a dialogue and an exchange. And guess what? At the end of it, there may not be a one word or one sentence answer, but we're in a time where if it can't be distilled into a tweet, that is a clap back that has all the cool words in it, then who cares? Well, I don't have time to talk about that. And mm -hmm. I think that's just a big, it's just a broader symptom of, the, the all the freebies that the Western world is enjoying, which is, you know, we have everything, literally we have everything. And the fact that we have the conversations that we have is, is evidence of the fact that we have everything, you know, regardless of where on the political spectrum you might be, the fact that the conversation is even taking place shows that we have, a, we're enjoying a freedom that the rest of the world, a lot of parts of the world don't have at all, you know? You're right. You're spot on. You're right. So many really good points there. And I guess I'll, I'll, I'll round out the topic, the subject by saying that I, and I've told this story in the podcast a few times, but my, my father-in-law was from Croatia, former Yugoslavia, and uh, was Yugoslavia at the time because it was after World War II. But if he didn't leave under the, the hammer of the socialist regime that was there, um, he would have been murdered. Simple as that. So he ended up walking walking uh, out to uh, through Italy to Austria. Or, I don't know. I think it was that way, and then back again. I think it was then eventually to Australia. He got in a boat and came to Australia as part of a migration wow. program in the uh, late sixties or early seventies. Now the point there is, my kids are related to somebody who lived under the hammer of a communist regime and hates hated socialism as a consequence. Of course he would. But you've got a lot of these kids these days, these people who go to university or what have you, or to your point, they've been given everything because we have that sort of a society these days, the welfare state, that have embraced socialism, they've embraced communism, and Marxism in particular, and they say this is the solution to all that ails us because of capitalism. You know, it's capitalism is bad, ergo socialism. And you see that again and again and again and again, and it's a sizable minority. It may be up to 20% of the youth that are like that. Certainly at universities, it's probably higher. 
but it's it's like we're almost being forced into this this under the the, the anvil of these Marxist philosophies yet again. Okay, yet we haven't learned from these kids haven't learned from history how many how many atrocities, how many genocides, how many murders have occurred under the hammer of socialism right across the world throughout the the, the bloody twentieth century, the horrific twentieth century. You know, my grandfather lived with uh, shrapnel through his body because he was bombed during World War II, this sort of thing. And that's another thing. A lot of these youth, they're separated from having conversations with relatives and people in their inner sanctum, their family in that way. So, yeah, it's just an observation that I make. And I think I really want to thank you for going there and having a bit of an exchange about that because, as I say, I had a uh, one we've sort of finished up. I'll tell you about another uh, another musician I had a conversation with recently who contacted me and asked me not to release an episode based on these sorts of <laughs> topics here. Oh, it's, to me, it's ridiculous. That's what I say about self-censorship. It's like, what are we doing? If we can't have these chats, where are we? I think it's, it's uh, you know, fear of reprisal, right? I mean, I'll get cancelled or what have you. And um, it's unfortunate that we're, we're in that position. I think, again, it's that reflection of entitlement. I can't hear something I don't like. It's like, wow, you have it so good. That, and it's not even like here, like you could just turn it off and walk away. <laughs> like, you know, if you don't, you know, it's just like a TV show. You, I don't like friends. So I just change the channel when friends is on. Like, it's really just that simple. I don't, I don't get offended by friends because I don't care for it. Um, but, you know, and kind of speaking to you saying how some of the younger folks are somehow thinking that socialism or communism is the answer to me that's just that's pure ignorance and i don't i don't even couch that as a political opinion that's like a historical opinion mm. uh, to me I, I i don't even look at that as like a, a, a polit it's like not even like a politically related question related question it's just it's just a, like a way of life question i can't imagine someone thinking that communism and i guess you know you can look at norway and say well hey socialism works there and it's like well it's it's not it is and it isn't they have socialist programs but they still are also using a lot of capitalism to get where they're yeah, at correct. yeah i mean you know they're exporting lots and lots of oil right now uh to europe which you know norway and sweden are supposed to be like you know these you know kind of god's gift to green but really, they're supplying Europe with all their same oil. With, same right with Canada. Now. It's the same with Canada, and and we here yeah. in Australia too, with all of our fossil fuel exports, the iron ore exports that underpin yeah. underpin China's economy. All the shit. There's something yeah. like I'll get the statistic wrong, but it's something like a quarter of all things made at the moment have Australian ore in them. Okay, and what all that goes wow. through a smeltering process, which needs power and energy, and that's all in the world's manufacturing center, which is in China these days. So all of these right. Work, liberal types they they want to try and confine these economies but only aspects of them okay because if they don't then have the yeah. money to power if they don't have the money if they don't these governments these left-wing governments don't have the money from mining royalties to fund their socialist pol policies they don't get voted back in again it's a crazy paradox yeah and you know it's i think it's also part of it is i think that the really young generation you know we we had the benefit of of kind of watching this happen whereas if maybe you look at someone who is 15 16 17 it's always been this way and the real interesting thing is you talk to some of these kids 
they legitimately think the world is going to end in like 10 years because of climate change. Yeah. Like they think, they think like, well, we're all dead in 10 years anyway. And it's like, you really think that? And they're like, well, yeah. And that to me kind of gives you a lot of insight into the attitude that they have, because if that were really true, if the world really was going to end in 10 years, then I guess my viewpoints would be quite a bit different as well. And I would kind of have this, I guess, alarmist outlook or this idea that, well, I'm never going to own anything. I'm never going to grow up and become an adult with children. So we just need to have the government just come in, wave their magic wand and fix it. And not only is that not going to happen, because that's just not the way government works, you know, unless it's an authoritarian regime. Um, and their magic wand isn't giving you what you want. Trust me, <laughs> you know, um, it, it's just, it's, you know, I think it's just, uh, it's maybe one of those things where they have to, it sounds old, like an old person thing to say, but they have to grow up a little bit and realize that, you know, get some life experience, get out in the world, get out of school. First of all, like school is the beginning of life. It's not, it's not where you become a fully formed person. You know, I'm 38 years old and I'm, and I'm still changing and I still have a lot of life left to go. I'm sure I'll be different in another 30 years. Hmm. I think when, when, when you're that age and you've really been told life, I mean, look at every commercial that comes out. Everything's you, everything's about you, 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 you live your dream, be you. You don't have to do anything and you're perfect. If you've been hearing that your entire life alongside the world's going to end tomorrow because the oceans are going to rise and we're all going to burn to death, I'd just be living for myself too, right? What, what do I have to lose? I'm not going to make it to 30. You know, the world's going to burn up when I'm 25. Who, who gives a shit? And I think they have to grow past that attitude and realize, wow, like that was kind of just alarmist culture. And that's actually not really what's going to happen. And you're going to have to figure out how to get your kids to school. And you're going to have to find a job uh, that doesn't involve, you know, Instagram or YouTube. Uh, and you're going to have to get through life, yeah. which like the rest of us have realized you want to get through life um, by your own means, your own accord, your own, your own perspective. You don't want to be told what you're going to do. You don't want all your earnings to be taken from you. You don't want your kids to be raised by a system. You want to raise them yourself. And unfortunately, I just don't think they've reached that point in life yet where they, they realize that. Yeah. They've approached the, the debate around the future in the same way that the, the inquisitors did back in the day, because we're a godless society these days across the West, which I, I simply cannot agree with, okay? You know, you still have to have a foundation of faith. I firmly believe that. And that's been seen again and again and again, that when you lose your foundation of faith, particularly our shared Greco-Roman, Judeo-Christian heritage that we've got, it needs to be honoured. And these kids are growing up in these secular households in secular, secular schools um, that are not teaching that there is a source beyond you. There is a power that is a form of creation, if you like. And in the absence of faith and spirituality, whether it be through Christianity or Judaism, um, 
you're seeing them initially you saw them embrace sort of buddhism and aspects of um hinduism even i went for the hara krishna thing for a little bit there but not as a participant just an, as a keen observer and, a, and a, as an interested party but woke is now the new religion and they're in, they've embraced that. You're seeing them. You know, it's like you know how the travellers used to ro- placate themselves on the road back in the day and do all that sort of shit. You're seeing the same thing with the Extinction Rebellion people, the way that they lie down in front of trucks and oil tankers and this sort of shit going on. Just, I mean, Instagram and Twitter is full of these images, and you just got to wonder exactly, like, what we've got going for us. I think just to go back to an earlier point is that when will we get out of this? Will these cycles go? The revolution spinning hard. The cycle's going very quickly, but it's like, okay, so we're we're in the middle of this woke epidemic, this godless woke woke epidemic, where it's a it's effectively a religion. But people are approaching it with the same zealotry. I'll agree with that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But what's next? Wonder what comes next, and how quickly will it come next? Because if it's this bad now, and I'm certainly an optimist, I don't agree that that the future is worse. But I'm simply saying how much worse can it get because of all this woke ideology before we actually start the uptick and coming back out of it? And keyword, personal responsibility kicks back in again and people are responsible for their own psychological health as they are for how much money comes into their households instead of blaming everything and saying, as I mentioned already, ergo socialism, the state governs all. I think they got to grow up. I think mm-hmm. they got to grow up. I honestly think that's what it is. I think at some point they're going to realize exactly what we said. Like, I got to figure out how to have a life beyond being a child. And that's when you realize that this religion of, of you know, cultural politics, identity politics, it's, it's not going to get you through life. It's just not. And also the idea that we can't have differing opinions. Mm. Right. At some point, you are going to have to work with someone who has a different view on life than you. You're going to be neighbors with someone who doesn't think exactly like you. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of these kids have ex- experienced that yet. I think they're in their own bubble of, of an echo chamber of where whatever they say, somebody just says, you're absolutely right. And the world's all about you. So how could you be wrong? And that's to me that's just the ignorance of youth and i don't mean that in a derogatory way just when you're dumb when you're young you're dumb you you don't you don't know much you know Mm -hmm. what i mean you're still figuring it out and i think it's easy for people these days to think they have all the answers because if you look at our our leaders our celebrities all these talking heads no one's ever wrong they're always so sure of themselves, regardless of where they are on any issue. It's, they know the answer. It's a matter of fact. There's no questioning it. I'm not wrong. And if you tell me I'm wrong, you know, you're the problem. Mm. And that's just not how society can actually function. People have to be able to disagree. We have to be able to have different opinions. We still have to be able to work together and get whatever it is we're trying to do done. And I don't think a lot of them have had to experience that yet. And once they get out of school, get out of their parents' house and get into society, they're going to realize like, oh, okay, well, I guess that was, that was a fun thought experiment, but now this is real life. Hmm. I just had to look it up then. There's an alleged quote by Churchill, which is that if a man is not a socialist by the time he is 20, he has no heart. 
And if he is not a conservative by the time he is 40, he has no brain. I think that summarizes it neatly. <laughs> you, you, not only does I not only does it summarize it, but what year did that quote come out? Uh, I can't. Yeah. I'll have to do a bit more diving on it. There, it doesn't actually years have, ago, something like that. It'd be in the 30s or 40s. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So 80, 90 years ago, the fact that it's still accurate and rings true really tells you, like this moment we're experiencing. I don't. It's it's unique to our experience because of our age. I don't think it's unique to the human condition, though. I think it's actually a cycle that us as human beings are fairly familiar with. It's that it's just the ebb and flow of culture. Hmm. Well, something else he said that's just come up on Google here is uh, this uh, quote is attributed on, on uh, May 28th, 1948. Socialism is the philosophy of failure, the creed of ignorance, and the gospel of envy. And I think that summarizes socialism very nicely. Nicely, it's right there. And think about those three things. So we say envy, ignorance, and then what was the third one? Failure. Philosophy of failure. Failure, yeah. right. So think about it. Look at the way social media presents itself. If you take social media at face value, it's very easy to feel like a failure, right? Look at everyone mm. else living the, the dream, and I'm just stuck here doom scrolling. I guess mm. I'm a failure. Ignorance, well, that can be to age. Right. You know, and then envy. It's very easy to see what everyone else has that you don't have. Right. And you feel powerless because you're you think you're a failure. And so, you know, well, I can't do anything about it. So I guess government's going to have to fix it. And so that's how you arrive at this notion that somehow politicians are going to make it better. And the fact that that's an old quote shows that we're not dealing with anything new here. Yeah, mm, yeah. You're, you're, you've got an intri- You've got a, a very intelligent take on things, Scott. I really would encourage you not not now, not in the immediate future, but you know, you're going to be doing this a long time. Let's face it. I mean, Aussie's still bloody out there singing, and the Stones are still doing <laughs> it, mate. But at some point, mate, I think you could easily switch across to dialogue through lyrics that focus on a lot more of these topics we're talking about because I, I do think I, I really to be honest mate I really wish that there was more of this sort of thing happening within our genre meaning extreme metal because there's just so many people that I talk to who share our point of view yet not a lot of it goes through into the lyrical side of things yet yeah I think uh, probably you know it's also kind of like you know do you even want the headache you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah, I'll get that uh, like uh, Look, if you think differently than me, like think differently than me, I, I kind of don't care. And, and not like in a, in a, in like a negative way, but it's like, we're supposed, everybody's supposed to have a different opinion, right? I kind of thought that's why we, you know, come up, you know, and I, you know, all Western nations, but me specifically, I'm an American. To me, that's kind of what the American flag represented was, look, we're all different, but we're all here together. And we all realize that without the, the the protections that our freedom gives us, we wouldn't have the ability to be different and coexist. And so maybe that's a bit idealistic on, on my part, you know, um, but at least that was the notion that was always conveyed to me by what, what does freedom mean? It means I have the right to be me. You have the right to be you. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to call you, 
whatever name I can think of just because you think differently than me, you know? And also it, it needs to be a system that works for all parties, right? It, it, it shouldn't be just catering to one group of people. I don't see the, I don't see any value in that. Yeah, no, no, I, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys all in the band, do you talk about these sort of things on tour buses? Yeah, I, I suppose we do. I mean, you know, again, we're we're not like, kind of the, the political day-to-day is not something we're really, uh, just dynamic. Can you still yeah. hear me on this microphone? Yeah. Loud and clear, cool. no worries. Yep. Um, I, I've been doing interviews like all day. Um the political stuff is not something that we really like go back and forth on too much. I guess sometimes we do here and there, but it's not like we have like a a sit down. It's like, it'll just come up, you know, kind of Mm. sporadically and we'll talk about it, but all of us are older in the band and also all of us run a business, which I think that gives us a very different perspective. If you run a business and you're a business owner, you feel the weight of taxes. You feel the weight of government oversight. You you feel the weight of saying, "Well, wait a minute, why, you know, why is my tech effective tax rate, you know, thirty five percent as a self employed person? Why, because I'm self employed, you know, I don't have access, you know, all these benefits that the state and the government hands out as a self employed individual. I don't have access to any of those. So I've had to figure it out for eighteen years, and I think that gives me a much different perspective than a younger person that maybe goes to university and, and works at a coffee shop, you know? Yeah, I hear you loud and clear on that point there. Universities, mate, they used to be places of thought, culture, and new thought more specifically, but these days they just tend to be about indoctrination. And I was uh, lucky to go to a great one here locally, which a lot of which takes in a lot of American students, I must add too. But I think it's I don't think it's based on the American system, but it has elements of it. Bond University, and um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's 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 not unique from the perspective that it's got international students. About half of them would come from abroad, and you you tend to sort of get a good feeling on things that. When kids aren't, when young people, youth, people in their early 20s aren't being indoctrinated, they're capable of very powerful new, uh, coming up to the conclusions by themselves, if you like, and I hope there's a bit more of it moving forward. So, mate, I'll, I'll got one more question for you, and it's very different topic, uh, subject matter to the one we've just been talking about. Mate, when, when are you coming to Australia? You know, I think the last time we spoke to you was a possibility, but um, is it likely on this this album cycle here? Um, yeah, you know, we did come down with the Iardis murder in, uh, what was it? September of 21. No, September of 22. Oh, shit. Um, Sorry, I missed it. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. We did come down with, uh, the Iardis and malevolence. I know our goal is to get back in 24. We have, uh, some U S tours and a European tour, but we're going to try to get there in 24. So ho- hopefully we can stick with that. Fingers crossed. Sorry, I missed that one there. It rings a bell now, I think, because I'm a muso too. So I might have been, I, I often miss the, the gigs on Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, because I've got a gig on one of those three nights. And inevitably oh, okay. it falls on falls on a band that I actually really want to watch. And uh, uh, I'll be honest, yeah. I'm not a huge Die Artist Murder fan either is the other thing. So I might have glossed over it and thought. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, it was, it was there too. We were supporting them. I think yeah, I know what you mean. I, yeah. I, I miss all the shows because I'm playing shows. I actually, like, I never get out to shows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? I know it's. Uh, do, do you get much downtime when you're on the road, especially when you're touring a country like Australia, or is it just one night after the other on an airport? 
Oh, it's yeah. It's one night after another because, you know, it all comes down to, to money, right? If, if we're yeah. sitting in some place, you know, that's be a hotel, there has to be food. Uh, it's expensive, right? So we got to play to keep the lights on. And then once we're done playing, get on a plane and go home. Yeah, it's a lot like that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, we're just grateful, mate, that you make the trip to come down here. I know it's not easy, and I know it costs a lot more to go to other parts of the world or go to B grade or C grade markets. You know, when I say B grade and C grade, the lesser visited markets in the states to come down here, mm-hmm. mate. But you know, you've got a fan base down here, and oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, you, you got you've you've always been a killer band. I've got to say that ever since so I certainly it's only about my awareness of you has really only sort of been in the last five or six years or so when I started to awaken to all of these great bands that were around after being in a morbid angel and those bands for so long. But um, you're certainly the leaders of the pack in, in in so many regards, mate. So you know, just off the back of this conversation here, man, just please keep doing what you're doing, and um, hopefully I'll see you down here sometime soon. I hope so too, man. I look forward to that. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. Take care. What a fantastic fella. At this point, if I could have conversations that resembled that one, if that was the ticket that I was given, I would take it. Let me tell you, because it's worth exploring these ideas and talking about them, because at the moment, censorship, it's just absolutely rabid, isn't it, across YouTube and the very prominent platforms that are out there. But Rest assured, I will always bring you the conversations, the conversations that very few other people are having with the musicians that we, whose music we all like listening to. Okay, so if you like that one, there are plenty of conversations over at scarsandguitars.com that you might be interested in. I've had at this point almost 750, I think it's over that amount there. So, so much for you to choose from. And if you like listening, maybe you like reading. And I've written a book, written a book featuring so many of the artists and the musicians that I've spoken to for the show. Scars and Guitars, Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. Click the link on the banner on the website and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice and you know the rest, download a sample. And Yeah, I really appreciate that people are buying the book actually. So if you do buy it or if you have bought it, please do hit me up because I want to thank you personally. On that note, there's some more information to share with you to entice you into having a look at the book. But before we get to that, I'll bid you a fond farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it is a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew Mackay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I 
think the staying power of the the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he, he was very, you know, very open-minded and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book. <laughs>